Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Sutton service. To hear talks from each of our services, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Oh, Father God, we just thank you. We thank you for your presence here with us this morning. We thank you for your voice, Father. Your voice like the sound of many waters. May we hear your voice this morning, Lord. May I decrease and may you increase. Would you speak a word um, to our hearts that takes root and produces fruit for your kingdom and brings you glory? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're doing a series at the moment um, based on uh, Undivided Life, called Undivided Life, which is... um, based uh, on, I don't know if you guys remember, but last year we did a series on life to the full. And we've been thinking about how can we live out John 10.10, that that God came to give us life and life in all its fullness. And what does it mean to really live life in all of its fullness? Um, This is more than just a notion. Um, And as we were praying, we were reminded of the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal when he uh, says to the people, "If, if God be God, follow him. And if Baal, follow him. And it felt like a line had been drawn for us that day that actually the time of having a divided heart of of worshipping God and then worshipping Baal, that actually there's no fullness of life there. And that God has called us to live an undivided life. He's called us to live totally for him. And if God be God, let him be God. Let's follow him. And so I know I don't know what um, what 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 bits you've heard because there's undivided heart, there's undivided mind. I, I'm sure you've heard some of them so far. And this morning I'm talking about an undivided community. What does an undivided community do? What does an undivided community look like? Um, my my main scripture is in Galatians chapter three, verses 26 to 29, which I'll read to you now. So it comes up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male, female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And I love this idea for you were, for all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's an idea here of being clothed with Christ. Um, and when he talks about uh, bapt- baptized into Christ, don't panic if you haven't been baptized with water. He's still talking about you if your heart has been baptized to him. If your heart has turned to Christ, then you have been baptized into Christ. And when you, when you, if you choose to be baptized in water, that's an external sign of an internal working that's happening, has happened and is happening already. Um, but when we're baptized into Christ, we've, been, we've clothed ourselves with Christ. And this idea of of how we clothe ourselves is quite interesting to me because our clothing is really, um, it kind of broadcasts our identity to the world. I don't know about you, but in the morning when I wake up, I think about who am I going to be seeing today? Where am I going to be seeing them? And what am I going to be talking to them about? 
And those three things generally determine what I'm going to wear that day because I know that as I enter a room, my clothes are going to speak before I open my mouth. And likewise, they do for all of us, whether we like it or not. <laughs> um, gone are the days where there are uh, four seasons of you know, fashion. It's like every week there's a new fashion. I I'm not a an avid follower of fashion, but I do dress with purpose in the same way Paul talks about our inner man. What are we clothing our heart with? What is, what is our inner person being clothed with? And he talks when he writes to the Colossians of, being clothed, of clothing ourselves with humility, gentleness, kindness, compassion. But then he also, when he writes the Ephesians, talks about putting on armor, putting on some practical clothing because we're going out um, when we're going out onto the battlefield. Um, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. God has called us to be a people of God, a royal priesthood, a chosen nation. What are we wearing that makes us distinctive as God's people, as a community that is undivided? That word distinctive uh, means having a quality or a characteristic that makes a person or a thing different from others. Um, and God has called us to be different. In Exodus chapter 19, he says, uh, verses 5 and 6, he says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Just like God called Israel to be set apart as his treasured possession and a kingdom of priests through their obedience and covenant keeping, he has also called us to be set apart for his purpose through our obedience to his word. And this is echoed in the New Testament when Paul writes the Ephesians, for you, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do God's works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. And in Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And of course, 1 Peter 2.9, that um, we are a, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. God has called us to be set apart. Set apart for what? Set apart not to be elite, but set apart for connection with him. God created us for connection and communion with him. In fact, when we look back at Genesis, before God made man, he was already a community in himself. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. God operates in community. And he invited Adam, when he made Adam, he invited Adam into the community with God. And he communed with him in the garden. He walked with him in the cool of the day. He created Adam to commune with and to be part of his community. But then he said, it's great that we have this community, but really it's not good that you're alone. You need community here on earth as well. You need someone who will help you and, and work with you and, and be by your side. And he created Eve, and from Eve came, Adam and Eve came more families and more communities. 
So we were created for connection. God is longing to give us connection first with himself and then with others. We were created for community. John Mark Comer in his um, latest book, Practicing the Way, says it like this. Salvation itself is a communal experience. One of the primary pictures of salvation in the New Testament is that of adoption. Through Jesus' atoning work, we have been adopted into the family of God. So what does an undivided community do? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Are you still awake? Yes, yes, great. (laughs) We're we're only nine minutes in, so hopefully. (laughs) Um, An undivided community seeks... I've got three S's because I'm a preacher now. Three S's, three, and they all begin with the same letter of the alphabet, gold star. An, An undivided community seeks God first and then others. An, un- an undivided community serves God first and then others. And an undivided community sacrifices to and for God and then for others. And I'm sure there are more. This is not by any means an exhaustive list. Um, as we seek God as an undivided community, we need to be unshakable in our resolve to pray and seek him together. And I say that word resolve very deliberately because God doesn't always give us the desire or the motivation to pray. I don't know if you've noticed. (laughs) That actually, if we want to seek God and pray, that we have to have a resolve to do it. And if there's one thing that you take away from today's talk, I hope that it is this, that we can um, adopt in ourselves an unshakable resolve to pray and seek God together. We were talking, we were singing just now about um, revival, and it feels like we're in a season of preparation for revival. I don't know how many of you would like to see revival in Sutton. A revival when, when, how many of you would love to see people who don't have faith come to know Jesus and come to have faith? Or people who perhaps have had dormant faith to have that come alive? How many of us would love to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? I know I would. And I believe that God really wants uh, to pour himself out on our generation. And I believe we're in a time of preparation for that. And I think that was mentioned earlier as well, that we are a people preparing for him. Well, great revivals, awakenings, outpourings follow people who pray. As a community, let's distinguish ourselves as followers of Christ, as royalty, as chosen ones, so that when revival comes, we're ready. We're ready to receive and grow and disciple. Let's be undivided in our determination to pray and seek God together. And something to know about prayer, as I alluded to earlier, is that you will never, um, prayer will never become a priority unless you make it a priority. 
we really have to be unshakable in our resolve to pray and seek God because everything that the enemy has set in motion on this plane was designed to keep us from prayer and connection and community. And that's what we were created for. So with our busyness and our trying to be productive and our pursuing of things that seem good, it's actually keeping us from the connection and the community that God has called us and created us to be. Um, in his book, uh, Enthroned, David Fritch says this, Don't despise your small prayer gatherings. Every major revival has its origin with a small band of intercessors faithfully crying out. Small gatherings precede big breakthroughs. When we gather to worship and pray, regardless of the size, we convene the very court of heaven on earth. Our prayer gatherings are the most important and powerful gatherings in our city. Amen. Amen. Sometimes when you go to a prayer gathering, you might not think that. <laughs> because it tends not to attract a lot of people. But let me tell you a story about the power of prayer. A chap called James O'Frazier written a book called Mountain Rain. It's a brilliant book. He, James O'Frazier was a missionary to China. And he went to the Lesu people in the mountains in southern China. And um, he shared the gospel with them, and um, he, there were many newly converted communities in that area. And um, he was out with the community, he was in one community, and the rains came. And the rains meant that he couldn't get across the mountain to the other newly converted community. So he stayed in one community and he ran an experiment. He said, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to disciple these Christians. I'm going to pray with them. I'm going to teach them the Bible. I'm going to love them. I'm going to train them. I'm going to teach them how, how to interpret scripture. And the same amount of time that I'm spending with these people in person, I'm going to commit to praying for the community that I can't reach. That's it. I'm just going to pray for them. And um, sure enough, when the rains passed and they were able to be reunited, he found that the community that he had prayed for only were leaps and bounds ahead of the community that he had discipled in person. Prayer is the first thing we do. It's the second thing we do. It's the third thing we do. An undivided community is one that prays on, in, in solitary and together. So what does a, a, an undivided community look like um, other than one that is praying? <laughs> um, an undivided community is one that serves God and sacrifices. So when we talk about serving God, really what we're talking about is keeping his commandments. And what are his commandments? That's an open question. What are his commandments? Scott, you're not allowed to answer. You're on staff. <laughs> So, uh, no, thanks, thanks. Okay, she didn't want to leave me hanging. It's all good. <laughs> um, the, the commandment is this, if you recall, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your strength and with all your soul and to love your neighbor as yourself. God's commandment is love. 
His commandment is love. To love God first and then others. And love requires sacrifice. And I, as I was um, sitting in this and I was thinking, what really does an undivided community look like? What would distinguish us as an undivided community from other communities in the world? And I came up with a few things. And um, this is in no particular order. Um, I've noticed, I'm sure you have, that Cancel culture is really big in our day and age. And I feel that this is something that is totally against the word of God. That as an undivided community, really, we shouldn't have any cancel culture found in us. But instead, we should be a a community that is forgiving and reconciling. And that's hard. And this is why it requires sacrifice. Because ultimately, it's actually really easy. And trust me, I'm, an, I, I'm half um, Iraqi. If there are any, any Arabs in the place. Oh, yes. Yes, thank you, sir. So you know that <laughs> we may have created cancel culture. <laughs> You know, if you go to somewhere and the, 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 the waiter looks at you a certain way or if your food isn't quite right, you can have the best experience. And then this has happened to me so many in my, fa- in my family so many times. We've left somewhere, but oh, the food was so good. Yes, but you know, the waiter, he looked at me. We're never going back. <laughs> really? The number of Lebanese restaurants in London that we are no longer able to go to is quite ridiculous. <laughs> um, And, uh, you know, I make light of it, but really, we need to walk in forgiveness. There's got to be some forgiveness and some reconciliation that takes place. And, And that is where the work comes in, because when we reconcile, we have to give people another chance, and we have to make ourselves vulnerable again, and we have to open ourselves up to be hurt again. And um, this is where God steps in because he is the ultimate one. He's the one who reconciled us to himself by taking on all the hurt and pain for us. Um, And so if you are in a position where you would love to walk the road of reconciliation, I really recommend Steps as a course to help you with this because it's a step-by-step process and can lead you down a path of reconciliation if this is something that you are struggling with. Um, An undivided community is fruitful rather than productive. God never called us to be productive. I know. He never called us to be productive. He never called us to produce results. But another thing that an undivided community is, is welcoming rather than demanding. I hope I'm not confusing everything now. I'm getting ahead of myself. See, when, when, when you're required to be productive, a demand is being made of you. You need to do this, you need to do that. And everywhere we go, demands are being made of our time, of our attention, and of our money. But in an undivided community, we're saying... We just want you as you are. Come as you are. And your productivity, you know, God never called us, he he never called us to be productive. He called us to bear fruit and to be fruitful. And what does that mean? Well, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, 
These are the fruits that, that will abound in us as we seek God first and as we love each other. And as our lives are not dependent on what job we have and what car we have and what house we have, but rather on what peace am I cultivating in myself and how am I ministering to the peace that others may lack? Can I bring that to them? Then we have a, a community that is fruitful. Then we have a community that people actually want to join. <laughs> um, in an undivided community, there is abundance. In God's community, there is abundance, not scarcity. And I think we've all been feeling the pinch of the cost of living crisis. And let me say two things about this. One is that there is no cost of living crisis in heaven. There is no cost of living crisis in heaven. There is no need that is too big that God can't meet you in it. And he is with you. And let me also say that if you are struggling with um, financial need, if you're not knowing how you're going to pay your bill, if you found yourself in a relationship break breakdown or with an unintended pregnancy and you don't know what you're going to do, we have Acts 345 can help you. We have a way that we can um, anonymously, post, anonymously post your need and we can all gather together and we can meet that need. And it's our absolute joy to do that because our God is generous and we want to be like him. Um, a hurried life versus an, an everlasting life. As an undivided community, are we hurrying everywhere all the time? Or have we tapped into this idea that we have everlasting life? That if you've given your life to Jesus, if you've turned your heart to Jesus, then he's given you everlasting life. And I sat in this as I was preparing this sermon and I'm like, wow, that time has a different concept when you understand that it's everlasting and that time, I'm going to live beyond time itself. You know, this time here we have on earth, you know, is limited, but our, our God is not limited and the life is beyond this life. And if I'm hurrying, trying to be productive because demands are being made of me, when um, an interruption comes, I'm not open to it. And one of the things that God's been really working with me on is being open to interruptions. And I'm reminded of when Jesus was um, with his disciples and, and um, Jairus came and he said, my daughter is, is dying. And Jesus, is, he hurries to go to Jairus' house, but on the way, the woman with, who had been bleeding for 12 years touches him and he turns. And I was just like, hold on a minute. This, I don't know if you guys have read Stephen Covey's, um, you know, what is it? Seven effective things to be effective and wonderful. Um, and you've got like important and urgent and not important and not urgent. And you're meant to live in, you're meant to live in important, not urgent. I only found this out recently. <laughs> Most of us probably live in important and urgent or not important and urgent. Um, and I was thinking of this story. Jesus was very much in the important, urgent quadrant at this point because the, 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 the daughter was dying and he had to get to her and then the, the woman with the issue of blood touches him and he turns around and not being mean to her but she had had this issue for 12 years I'm sure another hour or two she would have been okay but Jesus he's now stepped out of quadrant whatever that is important and urgent into important but not urgent and he says this can wait this is now. 
He's open to interruptions. And that story just really spoke to me of how, because God looks at an everlasting life and not a hurried life. An undivided community is one that is God-seeking and not self-seeking. It is not made up of independent beings, but made up of interdependent people. We are interdependent. We are interdependent. Um, I need you. You need me. I'm sorry. I'm going to let you down. <laughs> You're going to let me down. And that's why we have forgiveness and reconciliation. And that's how we get closer. <laughs> So how do we become part of this amazing and undivided community? Do you want to be a part of this undivided community? Yes, me too. <laughs> yes, well, this is it. We want to say yes to God's invitation to become part of his family. This is the first step. Even maybe, now, I don't know where you are on your faith journey, maybe now as I'm speaking, maybe when we worship later. You want to think about saying yes to God. I know if you're here today, God is calling you in some way closer to him. And when he calls us, he calls us like when a pebble is popped, is dropped into a pond and those ripples ripple out to the pond. He doesn't just call you. He doesn't just call you, Claire. He says, Claire, 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 Claire. He carries on calling us. He carries on calling us. And so if that's you, I want to encourage you, say yes. Say yes, God, I want to be your child. Jesus, I want you to be my brother. Holy Spirit, come and be my friend. Or maybe you need to renew your vows or deepen your vows. You know, God, I want to be your servant. Jesus, make me your apprentice. Or make, yeah, make me your apprentice. And Holy Spirit, can I be your slave? Not my will. Not my will but your will. Another thing we can do is um, join a church community. I don't know if you're part of this church. This is the best church community. I mean, other than Stockwell girls. <laughs> this is a wonderful church community. Um, and I really encourage you to join a midweek community where you can um, pray with people in the middle, in, in, during the week. Um, there are serving teams where we can come together and pray together. Um, there's coffee morning. Come and be part of a community. Come to coffee morning. Come to craft evening. This is about connecting and being um, connecting with others. There's also Sutton Community Project where we can go out and we can connect with people beyond the walls of this church. People um, who, who, need, who need prayer, who need a helping hand, who need to know they are not on their own. And they are not. We are here. And God is here for them. Um, I am, I am coming in to close. Stay with me. <laughs> um, I want to leave you with some um, practices that I've been trying to adopt recently. Um, I, there's a lady called Jen Pollock-Michael who says, there are practices you put on and practices you put off. And I thought this was really interesting considering we were talking about clothing and there's clothing that we put on. And of course, there's clothing that we take off. Start your day with prayer and finish your day with prayer. 
This sounds like a really simple thing, but you'd be surprised, actually, if we don't get this into our kind of rhythms and practices of life, how quickly this can fall by the wayside. And I've got two great apps that you... Oh, there's the quote. There's two great apps that you can use. Um, Lectio 365. This is a great app that leads you in a morning devotion and an evening devotion. Each one's about five, maximum ten minutes. And examine, which again is one that um, leads you in some reflective time. But as well as praying on your own, aim to connect with others. Maybe start a morning prayer Zoom. This is something that I've been part of that has so blessed my life to know. I mean, on a Wednesday when I go to sleep and I remember, oh, we've got prayer morning tomorrow. I've forgotten again. I forget every week. And then I think, am I leading it? Oh, no. Um, uh, But then my alarm clock goes off and I'm like, okay, let's do this. Let's do this. And this prayer morning has been such a blessing to start your day with praying for others and having others pray for you has genuinely changed my life. Um, If you're part of an evening community, uh, in a midweek community, that's another great chance to pray together. And these are the kind of chimes weekly, daily that get us um, praying. Um, There's something that I learned in Stockwell called prayer triplets. Have you guys heard of prayer triplets? This is something that I have, I've learned recently. It's a global thing. I didn't even know. So you come together with two other people and you decide, you bring to the prayer the names of three people that you would like to see come to faith. And you, all of you, you pray for basically for nine people. Um, and then you kind of see what happens. And God has been moving phenomenally through these prayer triplets across the globe. Um, We are about to enter Lent, as John mentioned. This is a great time to refocus ourselves and restory ourselves around prayer and the priority that we put on prayer. Um, Can I invite the band up? As we close, I'd love to um, share this amazing story with you about a Mayan village in Guatemala. That was, um, it's a small village. It's about 20,000 people. And it was... uh, stuck in a cycle of extreme poverty um, and alcoholism. Uh, there was high crime rates, violence. They say that on a, on a Saturday and Sunday morning, the streets were just lined with the bodies of men who had been drinking the night before, and they'd all just passed out in the street. Um, domestic abuse was sky high, um, and they would turn to the occult, and to spirit worship to ease their suffering. Some parents would drink for days and not feed their children. Um, House churches were stoned and evangelists were uh, run out of town and held at gunpoint. And there was one guy who decided, um, having tried to evangelize and tried to have a uh, a house church, he decided he was just going to pray. He was going to gather three people and pray. And as they began to pray, they noticed things started to change. Not at first, but they would pray daily. They committed themselves to prayer. And more people would come. And they, they then started to fast and pray. So they'd, pray, they'd fast and pray for three to four days a week. And then on Saturday, they would hold a prayer vigil. And at the prayer vigil, lots of people started coming. And people started experiencing healings. And people started coming to know Jesus. And the prayer vigil grew. And from the prayer vigil, churches started to come up. And... Um, 
the community, bit by bit, began to be transformed as people were being set free. The churches were growing, and now eight out of ten residents are born-again Christians. Where there were 36 bars, there are now three, and there are 24 churches for a community of 20,000. So you do the maths on that one. Um, drinking and violence um, pretty much stopped Crime rates went, uh, crime rates dropped. So before uh, they started praying, they had, they had to build more jails to keep the criminals. And they had four jails and they would um, have to export criminals beyond the village. And as the people prayed and God started to intervene, they no longer needed any jails. They experienced a true revival, but the revival didn't just stay in their hearts and in their relationships. The, the revival went to the soil, where before the soil around this village of Alamolonga was dry and arid and not worked. As the people stopped drinking, they turned to work the soil. And a revival broke out in the soil. The vegetables that they produced from the soil were not just enormous. Their harvest, they would harvest three times a year instead of just one. The harvest, instead of taking 60 days, would take 25. Where before they were exporting four truckloads of vegetables a month, they're now exporting 40 truckloads a week. And the vegetables are giant vegetables. Like, go and look it up. It's actually quite crazy. Their harvest, they experienced a 1,000% increase in, cultural product, in agricultural productivity. And towns from roundabout came to learn their secret. And they were surprised when they came because they gave all the glory to God. And as people all around them celebrate the Day of the Dead, the people of Olamalonga come together to celebrate the living God. This is what can happen as an undivided community when we come together to pray. Can I invite you to stand? Amen. I'm just going to invite Holy Spirit to come just before we worship. And then I'll come back and, and pray for us. Holy Spirit, would you come? Come, Holy Spirit. What do you long for in God? Where do you long for God to break into your life? Ask him. Invite him to come. God wants us to ask him. He wants connection with us. It may help for you in this moment to close your eyes um, so you can really focus on God. Maybe open your hands as a sign that you're open to hear from him. God loves to hear from us. He wants to hear from you. He wants to speak to you. You might begin to feel a certain calm, a little bit like when you were a child and your parent enters the room. Pay attention to that. You might feel a tingling or a warmth. I often feel something in my belly or something on my chest. Pay attention to that. 
pay attention to the thoughts that might come to mind, the mental images or emotions or the ideas. God might just place an idea. This is how he speaks to us. And if you're not feeling anything right now, I just want to say this is normal. Still ask God for what you need. Still talk to him. He is a generous God who gives lavishly, even if you don't feel it in this moment. Thank you, Father. Let's worship him.